And I would invite you uh, to open a Bible, whether hard copy or um, on a phone or tablet if you have one, uh, to the book of Exodus, to Exodus chapter 33. Uh, Exodus chapter 33, we're going to be looking in several scriptures this morning as we would discuss, as we're in continuing this series on lifting up our low view of God using A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy, as a guide for us today, talking about the mercy of God. Talking about the mercy of God. So at the conclusion of the Civil War, after uh, the surrender of the Confederate troops under General Robert E. Lee, President Lincoln spoke to a large crowd from the balcony of the White House And at the end of his speech, one of the senators, Senator Harlan, asked, what shall we do with these rebels, these Confederate rebels? The vindictive crowd who gathered together uh, began to shout in unison, hang them, hang them. That's what we should do with these rebels. But President Lincoln's son, he had four of them. The youngest, Tad, was with him. And at 11 years old, Tad looked up to his father, hearing this vindictive crowd cry, hang them, hang them. 11-year-old Tad said to his father, no, no, Papa, not hang them, hang on to them. Not hang them, but hang on to them. President Lincoln was moved by the words of his son, and he said, that's it. That's it. That's what we shall do. We shall hang on to them. The mercy. Mercy. The mercy of God. We've sung about it in many ways this morning. And oh, how we need the mercy of God, don't we? The mercies of God that Scripture says are new every morning. Oh, how we need the mercies of God. And as we are touched by the mercy of God we are able then to extend the mercy of God to others. Something that's interesting about Tad was that he was born with a cleft palate and had a speech impediment. And throughout his life, it is very probable that he was extended mercy in ways that were not extended to others as his special needs were considered and were cared for. I wonder how much little Tad called out for mercy to be extended because he himself had been one who had received mercy. And so as we receive the mercy of God for our needs, we are then more willing and it becomes more of our natural response to extend the mercy of God to others. This morning, our desire is, I believe the Lord's desire is that our view of our merciful God would be lifted up higher and that it would prompt us and encourage us to come to our merciful God, to receive mercy in the ways that we need his mercy afresh. And as we go, that we would be people touched by the mercy of God, willing to extend his mercy to others. Tozer, in the knowledge of the holy, says this about mercy, as I've shared various quotes along the way, We can go to that first slide. Mercy is an attribute of God, an infinite and inexhaustible energy within the divine nature. 
which disposes God to be actively compassionate. Both the Old and New Testaments proclaim the mercy of God, but the Old Testament has more than four times as much to say about mercy as the New. Oftentimes we think of God in the Old Testament as not merciful, as out to bring judgment and punishment, and then Jesus comes and the New Testament tone shifts to love and mercy and grace and compassion much more than in the Old Testament, but it's just not true. All throughout the scriptures, we see a God who is merciful. And so that's where we want to begin this morning, in the Old Testament, to see the mercy of God. There are sermon notes in your bulletins. If you're a note taker, there'll be fill-ins on the screen. But we want to begin there in, this Old Test- in the Old Testament, knowing the mercy of God. Let's begin there. Uh, know the mercy of God and three truths this morning that we want to look at to know that God is merciful. The first truth is this. God gives mercy to whom he chooses. God gives mercy to whom he chooses. In Exodus chapter 33, the context is Israel, God's people, have been brought out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. God's done amazing things to show his mercy, to show his love, to show his compassion, to show his power and deliverance. And yet as they come out of the desert, as they, or into the desert out of, uh, out of Egypt, they are continuously rebellious against God. Exodus 33, right before this, Moses has gone up to the mountain and the people, it's taken longer than they anticipated for Moses to come down from the mountain and they begin to think Moses is dead and they're, they're uncertain and they think, who is this God that we are really serving? Let us make a God in our, for ourselves to worship. So they bring all of their gold together and they craft a golden calf and they begin to worship it. And at that time, it is when Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees the idolatry, he sees the worship that is being given to this golden calf instead of God. And in anger, he throws down those tablets, the Ten Commandments that he had received from God and broke them. And now he is on his way up. He, he goes back to meet with God in Exodus chapter 33. And in the context of all of this, Moses asks God, we need you. God says, I'll go with you. I'll send an angel with you. And Moses says, that's not enough. We can't just have an angel. What is going to distinguish us? What is going to distinguish me from all other peoples on this earth? We need you. We need your presence to go with us. We need your glory to be shown to us, to set us apart from all others, that they would be drawn to you. And in the context of that, the Lord says, I will go with you. I will send my presence. I myself will go with you. And Moses makes this bold ask of God. He says, now show me your glory. God shows him his glory, though he has to hide him because if Moses were to see the fullness of God's glory, he would die on the spot. So he sees the back. But in the midst of all of this, God makes this rather curious but rather profound statement in verse 19. It says, And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, or Yahweh, in your presence. And then he says this, I will have mercy 
on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Friends, at the beginning of this discussion on the mercy of God, we need to recognize this, that mercy is not getting what we deserve, and that all of God's mercy is his active choice. Friends, if we get stuck in the position where we think God owes us his mercy, we don't understand mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is a choice from a merciful and compassionate God to not give us what should be coming to us. God is not obligated to give us his mercy, but because he is merciful, he chooses to give it. Last week, we talked about the justice of God. We talked about how God's justice is about his bringing right and about bringing fairness to all the wrongs of this world and to our lives, of dealing with wrongdoers and those who have been offended doing right on their behalf. Mercy, in terms of what is fair, when we are on the side where we should be getting judgment, mercy makes us appreciate the justice of God. Because what we deserve, we don't get. Mercy becomes amazing to us when we realize that it's God's free choice to extend mercy, not that he is obligated to give it to us. This is illustrated by a conversation that a a mother once had with the Emperor Napoleon. She approached Napoleon, she approached him because she was seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied to uh, this mother that her, her son, this young man, had committed the same offense twice, and therefore justice demanded that he be put to death. The mother explained to Napoleon, I don't ask for justice, I plead for mercy. Napoleon responded, but your son, your son doesn't deserve mercy. To which this wise and desperate woman replied, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Napoleon moved by the the truth that she had just uttered and the desperation of this mother said, I will have mercy, and he spared that woman's son. Friends, mercy, mercy is a choice that God gives, a choice that he makes to be merciful when what we deserve is punishment. Which brings us to the second truth, and that is that God's mercy is great. God's mercy is great. If you would turn with me to the book of First Chronicles, chapter 21. So continue on your way. Uh, you'll come uh, to Second uh, Samuel, then First Kings, and then First Chronicles. To First Chronicles, chapter 21. In First Chronicles 21, it's a rather disturbing account because King David decides that he is going to take a census account of all the troops of Israel. 
He came to the commander of the army, Joab, and he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a a census of all the troops. And Joab fights against it. He says, no, we should not do that. And the essence of his argument is that does not God have all the means necessary to be able to fight the battles through his people and for his people? We don't need to know how many because God is the one who provides everything. And David hears the argument, he says, no, 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 I still want you to do it. And so Joab, in obedience to the king who overrules him, goes and he takes up the task of a census. In verse 8 of 1 Chronicles chapter 21, it says, Then David said to Gad, Gad was the prophet or the seer of God to David, and he says, I have sinned greatly by doing this. He says this to God. Now I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I've done a very foolish thing. He comes to understand what he did was foolish. And Gad comes to him and he says to him, this is what the Lord says. Go after being told, this is what the Lord says in verse 10. I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. Verse 11, so Gad went to David and said to him, this is what the Lord says, take your choice. Three years of famine, first option. Second option, three months of being swept away or fleeing before your enemies with their swords eventually overtaking you. Or option three, three days of the sword of the Lord, days of plague in the land with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Now then, decide how I should answer the one who sent me. Heavy consequence. Heavy consequence on the nation because of the sin of the king. And David replies, feeling the weight of this in verse 13. He says to Gad, I am in deep distress hearing this, seeing the weight of his sin, seeing the consequences that are coming. He says, I am in deep distress. And he says, let me fall into the hands of the Lord. Why? For his mercy is very great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. Why? Because the hands of men are not as merciful as the hands of God. He says, the, let me fall into the hands of men, or not into the hands of men, but into the hands of God because his mercy is very great. Verses 14 through 15, it's carried out. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel. And 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. And God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem, but As the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it and was grieved because of the calamity and said to the angel who was destroying the people, enough, withdraw your hand. Even in the midst of this horrific consequence of sin, the mercy of God steps in from what even should have been says it's enough. Why? Because God is merciful. David's consequence was extremely great, but it also helps us to see the greatness of God's mercy. 
When there is small consequence, it's met with small mercy. But when there is great consequence, it is met with great mercy. We're going to take communion together in a moment, but before we do, may this be a moment for us to pause. Because oftentimes we don't think about the greatness of the consequence that should be ours. The scriptures say that the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death as well. An eternal separation from God in a very real place called hell. The scriptures talk about hell as places of gnashing of teeth, of just deep regret. Places, a place where there is fire. At the same time, a place where there is darkness. <laughs> All these things are, are analogies to help us to understand the depth of despair that is there. Ultimately, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1 that the worst thing about hell is this, that the glory of God, the presence of God is not there. It's shut out. So everything that is good in this world, even if there is mess and brokenness, everything that is good, none of it will be present. That is what each one of us deserves. The scriptures are very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what we have earned because of that is eternal separation, the consequence of an existence forever in hell. We don't like to think about hell too often. We don't like to think about how horrible that would be. But friends, if we don't think about the depth of how horrible the consequence of our sin is, we don't grasp how great the mercy of God is. The mercy of God that was extended in Christ in that while we were yet sinners, God sent Jesus to come to this earth to die on a cross for us. Not because we were good enough, but because we were lost in the depth of our sin and depravity. And God at that moment sent his son Jesus to show his love, to show his mercy, to show his compassion. For God desires that none should perish, but that all would have eternal life with him. And so even as I was praying this morning for this message, I just sensed that the Lord is saying for us, that if there's anyone today who's saying, I don't know that Jesus, I have not been touched by the mercy of God, that his mercy is wide open for you today. And it's about turning from your life as it is, the sin that plagues it, and turning to Jesus for the washing of forgiveness over your life, for the mercy of God to be poured out. For God so loved, as we sang, the world that he gave, his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Why? Because the world already stands condemned. He came that we might be saved. That is the love and the compassion and the mercy of God. If you've received Jesus as your savior, 
may it be a fresh reminder this morning that his mercy is not something we deserve. His mercy is something he chooses and he chose to to give his son, Jesus, for the salvation of each of us. May that bring worship and celebration and praise to the one who has extended his mercy to us in that way as we celebrate communion together. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a regular attender. But if you've received Jesus as your Savior, we would invite you to partake of this together. If there is anything that you're still working through with Jesus, it's a great time just to let those pass, but to be in prayer and just spend some time with the Lord together. So those who will be serving, um, if you would come at this point, the way we are going to do that is, is they're going to serve you by passing these trays down. We'll take those elements. And once everyone has been served, then we will partake together, first with the bread and then with the cup. So just hold it in the time while you're waiting for either the elements to come to you or once you have them. May it be a moment for you just to take some time with Jesus. Take some time with Jesus and celebrate and give thanks to him for the mercy that he has given.